Hi, all, and welcome back to Damon All to Hell. I'm Kelly Gibson, and it's a new one for us here at Damon All to Hell. Tracy Dietz is not with me in the studio or on the phone. I'm sort of flying solo, but we have a friend of the pod here with us, Frida, who's been with us before, Ajet, um, back to talk about her upcoming epic event, Courage to Run, <laughs> which is amazing what, what she's done, and she'll fill us in, and we'll just sort of get with the regular topics of talking about badass women doing badass things in the last week. Welcome back, Frida. Thank you so much for having me, and I love our topic for today. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what's going on with the run. Well, first I have to say, in terms of badass, I love how there's certain words that seem to cycle through, and that is absolutely one of them. Mm -hmm. I When I was flying here, I had to pick up the in uh, in style of They're good lately, aren't they? And it's the badass episode. Uh, Isn't Serena on the cover? Serena's on the cover, so maybe that'll cycle back through in our conversation today. Um, Everyone, so great to to be with you again today. This is Frida Jett, founder of The Courage to Run, the nation's first nonpartisan 5K run and walk and premier party celebrating the rising wave of women lacing up, getting in the game, and running for office. And you're on a bit of a media tour. I saw on social that you were with SiriusXM yesterday yes, talking about it. Absolutely. So there seems to be a bit of a buzz. There is a buzz. It's fantastic. You know, now that the sleepy season of summer sands the, the heat wave yes, we're in. so hot. Is is, is slowing down. Kids are going back to school. The city's waking back up, and there's a lot of interest and a lot of appetite across the political Amazing. spectrum for something like this. And so you have had lots of people sign on. Members of sitting elected officials, women and men, and a candidates, women and men. Tell us a little bit about. So I haven't crunched all the data yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah, um, I did look to see, out of curiosity, what proportion of the registrants were men and yeah. what were women. Eighty-eight percent of our registrants, and we're in the hundred hundreds, were exceeding our our goal. Um, so I'll. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till after Labor Day for, for those specs. But our, so 88% are women and the rest are, are men or other identity genders. And it is, it's fantastic. We have women candidates, seated electeds across the country participating in this run. Um, some are coming to the flagship event in Washington, D.C., and others are gathering together locally in their communities, which is is really inspiring uh, to, to witness. So fun. My husband said to me last night, it's on my calendar, but I didn't know how you wanted to do it. Like, do you want us to do it with you? Do you want me to just take care of the kids while you do it? I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. It'll be, it'll be good. So you told me um, about one state in particular. Is it Idaho where you have... Like there's some of these satellite runs where you have like tons of people. Yes. That oh are my gosh, up. my face is like lighting. Up there's, I I want to give the women of Wyoming, Wyoming, a shout yeah. out. <laughs> so I got an email from the Teton County, which is where Jackson Hole is mm-hmm. located. Yeah. Yep. Vice Chair Natalia Duncan Macker, and she's like, "OMG, this is amazing!" <laughs> and she's on a mission to bring together women, and it's fabulous. There are at least ten of them already registered. They range from local school board members that are pursuing a seat at the state house Fun. in Cheyenne, um, women running for sheriff, uh, seated police officers running for sheriff. Uh, the mayor is this is her last hurrah. So commissioners, state legislators, and their Republican and their Democrats running together in Wyoming. There are 
people all across Alaska right now that are registered. Some are in seated office. Others are women running in support of women. Mm-hmm. And that is a big-ass state. Yes. So. <laughs> it's a weird one, too. Yeah. And um, my shop is working for a woman running, so we'll, tr- we'll try to get her get her on board. Also, a byproduct of this run is you're apparently learning a lot about all the different elected officials in random states like Wyoming. You probably never thought about the sheriff of mm-hmm. uh, Jacksonville or Teton or whatever that person is. Yeah, it's it's fabulous. I mean, this is I'm having a lot of deja vu and memories from back in my community organizing and public health campaign days across the country. Many of these states I worked with to pass local and statewide legislation protecting public health. And so there's a lot. I was talking to somebody uh, not in politics recently. I said, you know what? In this day and age, I love campaigns because it's one of the only places you can cold call and you don't get put straight to voicemail. Um, But yeah, with the, you know, I'm hearing a lot of appreciation across the aisle and particularly a lot of Republican women are, are really grateful and heartened by this idea of unity yeah. um, and civility because that's not something that necessarily they see role modeled um, and want to want to really pioneer. And then similarly, um, a lot of these women that are in congressional seats as well as down ballot are looking for ways to use this as a social activation that's and cool. really inspire their their teams and their volunteers as they pivot into this incredibly pivotal time of the time, cycle. Time. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, this cycle. As we know, there are some places that are really moving towards that civility unification thing. And then there are some states that are just like, fuck it. I mean, mm-hmm. the results, the returns on Tuesday night in Florida oh, were just, mm-hmm. I mean, insane, right? Well, and it's, the after effect, right? The after effect, right. <laughs> it's a Bernie Sanders candidate running against a Trump candidate, basically. I mean, Andrew Gillum offers this other element of... Um, of race and socioeconomic um, realization. He was the only non-millionaire billionaire running in that mm-hmm. race, personally wealthy. Mm-hmm. But then it's like our my girl Gwen Graham. It's just like she was totally trying to take it to the center and talk about how they could get things she could make things happen with a Republican-run legislature and nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just did not resonate. I also read that all sorts of different candidates combined spent $8 million hitting her on TV, and nobody took a negative message to Andrew Gillum on TV. They were all hitting each other, all the sort of front runners, and then he just slipped up through the middle, which it's weird times. Mm-hmm. It's good time to actually run, as Frida was talking about, but also a good time just to, for women just to run for office, which we've been talking a lot about the pink wave on this podcast, but sort of everybody's talking about it. But there is a new study out in the Washington Post um, called The Survey Shows Why There's Never Been a Better Time for Women to Run for Office. And it's a it was a big survey, a qualitative survey instead of a quantitative mm-hmm. where they like mm-hmm. asked verbatims um, of people. But basically it's like the, the, the whole system has shifted. In the past when you've asked people like, do you think a woman or a man would be better at making decisions? It's always been like, well, I'm cool with them both being elected, but at the end of the day, like a man's probably gonna be better at doing the job. And that dynamic has really shifted. And even on traditionally, quote unquote, masculine issues like law, like law enforcement and foreign affairs. So it's like this quantity, this wave has not only increased the odds of more women in leadership positions, but it has offered um, offered the chance for voters to think they can do the job, which I'm, I don't know. I'm a little surprised by it. Well, it's interesting. I was listening to um, I can't remember some news show last week. There's so many <laughs> There's of them. So There's many. so many of them. Um, and David Wasserman from the Cook Political, Re- uh-huh. Political Report was on there. And he said that 69% of women that are running in non-incumbency seats against a man mm-hmm. – um, and maybe there's another woman in the race too, but against the man, 
made it in onto the general. Onto the general, yeah, so killing it. That yeah. is significant. You and I both know you when you're doing a poll, you don't want to be in the fifties. Yeah. You want to be <laughs> in the sixties <laughs> or higher. So that's that's definitely significant. The other thing that's quite interesting about our times is that, you know, when it comes to archetypes, women are seen as more trustworthy. They have a coalition a, builders. Coalition builders, collaborators. We know back from the twenty thirteen um, you know, gridlock shutdown that it was senator women from both sides of the aisle that came together to reconcile and say, hey, guys, let's get, get our done. shit together and yeah. move forward. Um, so it's interesting in that way. The other thing that's quite fascinating, this cycle specifically, for a lot of these congressional seats, and now I'm learning and talking with all I these know. candidates <laughs> on a local level as well, is a lot of these women have um, defense and law enforcement background. background. There are yeah. a lot of air former air force military navy candidates out there never has there ever been so many democrats running with military background like the republicans really have typically historically have a stronghold on that but it's and, and it's women like mj hager in texas mm-hmm. who was the you know the helicopter pilot and amy mcgrath in kentucky yep. and um uh chrissy Mikey, is a former i think air force yeah yeah uh, Hulahan in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then there's a woman named Mickey. I can't remember her last name right now who's mm-hmm. running in New Jersey. But there's mm-hmm. a lot. And, mm-hmm. and that just includes all the men who are running with, you know, the Connor Lambs of the world. So it is cool. It is cool to hear about. And talking about like being good things being in the 60s in polls, this this study in the Post said that large numbers of respondents said men and women handle issues equally well. That was true on a range of topics, including economic issues at 64 percent, foreign affairs at 62 percent, environmental 59, law enforcement 58. I mean, these are things that in the past, if given the chance of just straight up man versus woman, mm-hmm. it's almost always like, well, he's probably just like typically he's going to know more than that. And that sort of changed. And then you got into the stuff that is more gendered mm-hmm. about when asked about reproductive rights. Um, 57% of respondents said women could handle that better compared to 6% who said men would handle it better, which – I mean, it's reproductive rights, so at least that's sort of honest. But it does feel like we get the benefit of the lady stuff and also I was sort of breaking into the space of the man stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so if voters are thinking like that, maybe they'll – it seems like they'll just vote for the best person regardless of gender, which we have never experienced in this country before. It's an it's a very curious and exciting time in a lot of ways. I always say that adversity uh, creates opportunity and I think that we're at that Cavus point right now where – Whereas 2016 was seen as the the voting block that defined the election were white men without a college degree, and 2018 yeah. is the college educated woman, yeah, um, a, of all backgrounds. And one thing that it's because they all stayed; they didn't do their job in 16. Yeah, those like women. get your yeah. get your ass. look what you get did. Get out the vote, yeah. girls. Um, <laughs> Don't yes, fuck it up again. We love you. Now yeah. go. Um, the the other thing was uh, in terms of what's exciting as. We are at a major generational shift where— Fucking millennials. Millennials. And I think that what we're seeing in terms of these results are a—not all because it's complex, right? A a portion of it absolutely is the passing of the baton and young people becoming voting age, becoming—increasing their political advocacy and having a different mindset and cultural— archetype um, or barometer by which they're making their opinions. And so even thinking about, and we're thinking a lot about this with the Courage to Run, where the road to parity is, we talked about like the endurance or the ultramarathons. 
The Road to Parity is an ultimate endurance marathon. We just celebrated the 98th day of Women's Equality Day. Yeah. It's been 98 fucking years since we had the 19th Amendment and we've mm-hmm. been allowed to vote. Oh, my gosh. How cool would it be if year 100 we have a woman president? President. But um, so it's it's great to have our girls involved and our daughters involved in this because it just is sending another message. It's so important for our young people to visibly see – if you don't see, it can't be. You, you, you know? Yeah, you act, action is modeled, you know. And I, I, I say that – I've said that a bunch in here. And this is a place where, you know, she can't defend herself because she's not here. But <laughs> Tracy and I disagree so much about the need to have examples of of options, right? Mm-hmm. Tracy always thinks, well, whatever. You're sm- if we're equal, we're equal. Like, you don't need to see anybody. Just do it. Pull up your fucking bootstraps and get the job you want to get. But I'm like, that's seeming like a little bit hard, you know. Like if you've never seen anybody break that. If that – if that – obstacle is yours mm-hmm. to break alone, mm-hmm. that feels overwhelming to a lot of people. And the other thing I was going to say about the millennials is, I mean, they just have a battle cry and they've embraced it in a way that, you know, vote them out. Like if you don't like what's happening, vote them out. You can vote them out. They have sort of embraced that. And I'm, I'm seeing it across the country from kids of all socioeconomic racial backgrounds and, and I, you know, partisanship backgrounds. When you're 15, do you really have to have a party? I think it's a little sad that there's these high schoolers that say, well, I'm a Democrat and she's a Republican. I mean, they've never paid taxes mm-hmm. or they don't, you know, like they don't, they have not engaged with our democracy in a way. Their civics class. Right. But, but yeah. bless you. Stay involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I would, I love the idea of being able to explore partisanship over, you know, vote when you're 18 for whatever you want to vote for. But the idea that you have, when you wait, you're 18, you have to pick a party and then you're married to it. That, that feels a little confining to me. And I was raised by conservative Republicans mm-hmm. and I'm like a rowdy feminist progressive. So I think there's space to be who you want to be. But those kids, I mean, also the effort to get for them to get registered before registration dates close, if they're going to be 18 on Election Day, like that's shit that grownups can't figure out. It's there's so much that you just know. said. It I'm like, so oh good. my God, we need to talk yeah. about millennials. We need to talk about political ideology. There was something about yeah. something else that made me think of something, something. Um, the, in terms of ideology, well, one, there are states now, my home state of California being one of them, that are now open doing – Well, open primaries and per young people getting registered, it now makes it available for if you're 16 to pre-register to vote. Super yes. awesome. My hometown of states, Tacoma Park, you can vote at 16. Here in Maryland. I mean, only for Tacoma Park elections like Tacoma Park Mayor, Tacoma Park City mm. Council, wow. not state. Go youth yeah. commissioner, whoever I know. Was I know. Um, And then there's other, like Oregon, or do I think it's Oregon that has automatic voter registration. There's 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 14 states with automatic voter registration. Who knew? Um, Utah. I'm actually working on a campaign right, right now to pass it in Nevada, yeah, which girl. is pretty interesting. Um, but yes, automatic voter reg is really good Huge. for basically Everybody, but primarily busy people. Let's and reduce military. the barrier to yeah. entry for participation. Um, the other thing in terms of ideology, you know, we were talking about sports, so it's like pivot, 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 <laughs> pivot, is, um, okay, nerd alert. And Tracy, we love you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is, I'm bring, I'm putting on my, my, my professor hat here, is, so for the stereotypes in political strategy class I teach at George Washington University, mm-hmm. when we talk about political ideology and we unpack and challenge different stereotypes associated with conservatism mm-hmm. and liberalism and the history of it, the students take the Pew uh, political ideology quiz. And it quali- it identifies eight 
not two, not eight three, parties. eight different or political mindsets, spectrum mi- kind mindsets. Of. Yeah, across the spectrum, and in a lot of states, we're seeing an increase in no party preference, especially in states like mine, where you have open primaries and others. Essentially, um, registered unaffiliated. Is that the exactly. same thing? No party preference. No yeah. party preference. I, I, each state. Unaffiliated, independent. Yep. I know independent is like its own party, so it's a little yeah. complex yeah, depending yeah, yeah, on where yeah. you are. Um, so the questions that are asked are very absolute because it's trying to f- to put you in a specific camp. However, the results are always interesting, and the students are always like, oh, Jesus, I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe um, Tracy and I should take the test oh on the gosh, next you podcast. Totally should. I'll send you the link. <laughs> that, would be so, that would be so interesting. What, yeah, what if I turned out to be the conservative and she turns out to be the liberal? <laughs> Your parents are like, welcome home. Welcome home. Um, yeah, yeah, and then the third thing you said, I just can't remember. The hard part about that, I, I'm all for not boxing you in as a voter, but the hard part is we run in a two-party government system. So, like, you just need major. You just need numbers to make shit happen. And if there's, you know, I guess you could totally switch it up and go parliamentary, and that's got its own problems. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's issue voters and there's party voters, and people love to be issue voters. But issue voters don't often elect candidates that then, as as elected officials, can make progress in a way they want to because. Mm-hmm. It's just the, it's 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 a fault of the way that our system works currently. But I do the extremes is a reality we're currently in, and it would you know everything about political is swinging. It's a pendulum all the time. But coming back from the extremes, this seems seems like an interesting force. If we can, I don't know those millenn the you know I always joke I am a millennial. I'm the grandmother of millennials. I was probably the first ever born millennial. But um, welcome home. I know <laughs> I kind of like it. I talk to other people my age, you know, 30, 37 years old, and yeah. they're like, I am not a millennial, and I'm like, I will hold on to that title as hard as I can because Resenials, it's I such, think. like yeah that's bullshit what I feel it, yeah, like yeah that's yeah I mean I like being the grandma of the biggest generation living generation it feels really good the biggest generation yeah I'll take it I, I feel like, like I'm like the OG song. millennial yeah <laughs> um so yes this this study has been it, it's you know it's just really nice it's nice to see not just culture shifts but actual sort of like shifts in perception around gender you know and we just we struggled mm. with it again last week. We, you know, anytime we talk about people that choose women who choose to stay at home and and be with their families and raise the kids, I don't want to be bitchy and judgy about that. I just it I am, and I try. I'm trying really hard not to be. But I feel like trying to remedy the difference between be the change you want to see, model the big jobs, break the ceilings, you know, mm-hmm. hurdle the obstacles, all that sort of stuff, but also embrace women that want to do it the way women mm-hmm. have always done it. I want to really get there, but I think it's it's so hard to be both of those things. Do you know what's really interesting about this? And I remember what the, the other um, thing that you said that I was thinking about was about role modeling and visibility. <clears throat> and it is incredibly important. Another professor, uh, little flash mob <laughs> the point, P.S. <laughs> Tracy, we love you, is – Studies across the board, irrespective of leadership style, charismatic, innovative, authentic, mm-hmm. role modeling plays about 70% in terms of ambition and motivation. We have to see it. When it comes to how we process information, about 75% of our senses are related to vision. So that's why with politics, Everybody? it's so important when you see the photos are more important yeah. than the words is yeah. because that's what people remember. Yeah. So there's one study that's been repurposed internationally that shows. So anyone who's listening that is a politi- political operative, you can you can thank me. Here's just a free <laughs> tidbit. There are studies that show um, when it comes to voter behavior and decision making, 
uh, they'll show images of candidates. And if they're asked how competent do they look, about 70 percent across studies translate – a perception of competence translates into votes on election day and then followed by warmth and integrity. So that's really – Competence Image is so subjective, mind. though. It is. It is subjective. That's a mind fuck. Um, it is. A, it is a mind fuck. I mean, I think that there's probably certain things like, if, like you're, if you're like, yeah. I'm making like, like, like I would dress all my candidates face. like Beyonce because yeah. I feel like you're she's like, the most competent hey, lady. But that's like, true. I'm not sure that like the sparkly sort of uni suits look good on all the yeah. ladies. So image matters um, in terms of bringing people together. Actually, that's interesting because. When the Courage to Run idea first came about, when I came back from London six years ago, mm-hmm. and we were just doing these little meetups, one thing that was so powerful was having these executives from Google and Yahoo and Philanthropy and the San Francisco Giant, you know, world champion San Francisco Giants, women that worked with the team, and there were women that were just coming out of college, and they're like, oh, my God, who am I? I'm going through my my quarter-life crisis. We had women that were stay-at-home, that were were returning to work or considering going to work after being full-time devoted to their families. Yeah, my mom did that. And they were sitting there with these high-power, kind of canonized women who were sharing stories about tough decisions that they were making defining moments in their lives. And we would stop the story midway at kind of like a pivotal point and ask the people around the table, what would you do? If this were you, what strengths, perspectives, mm-hmm. passions? And there was such an amazing theme. And that was so empowering for these young women in their 20s that were like, oh, my God, do I go back to school? Do I get a job? I don't know who I am. And then these women that were already seated executives or in mid-level positions and trying to determine their next professional pivot – and these women that were emerging in their second, second chapter in their second chapter, yeah. and so I think that's one of the key things is identifying those air, kind of what Tracy's and she's not here, so I'm making a huge assumption is <sighs> what perhaps she's she's identifying, which is um, those areas of, of of commonality, and then building upon it as well as hearing from others of yes, this is possible, and what you're doing there can absolutely be repurposed in other aspects of your life. Totally. Uh, Yeah, I think there's certainly a significant skill set that is um, developed and honed as a result of making that choice of of staying home and being in charge of your family and your children and all that kind of stuff and a whole bunch of shit that those kids get that they don't get with two working parents like me and my husband. Mm -hmm. The issue I take with the way we talk about it is – I don't care if if there are those women that want to stay home. I I support whatever decisions. I, I, I struggle to sort of remedy the forward progress of gender equality with that being sort of a piece of the puzzle. I just want it to be cool for men to make the same choice. I think that making the decision that a parent should stay home is a fine decision to make inside of your family. But mm-hmm. the default that it should be the mom is a hard one for me. And I would love to see the numbers of stay-at-home dads or, you know, house spouses or the the um, uh, the point parent, people say that, like that it would be less gendered. And I don't know, that feels like it would, would be progress to me mm-hmm. without the judgy thing about having to stay home instead of working. Mm-hmm. We should mobilize like a whole campaign of – of 
dads that Point are like, I want to yeah. stay, like change the family, yeah. change the yeah. family. The men policies. that I have talked to that have made the decision say it's very isolating. Women mm-hmm. don't talk to them on the playground. They're not invited to mm-hmm. playgroups. They mm-hmm. don't get to go to lunches, like because there's a there's a weird barrier between married people that, but that it goes by gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you mentioned Google just quickly. A stupid shit for the week, and Tracy's not here, so I get to pick whatever stupid shit I want. Um, our president picking a fight with Google. Fascinating. I mean, what the hell? He Googled Donald Trump news, only got negative results, and now has his economic advisor exploring Google's algorithms. He's such a narcissist. It's insane. And also, the news is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, you haven't, even, you haven't even done anything good for your base in the last couple days. So, it's been a rough week, Mr. President. I know. Yeah. What is happening? I mean, he's always got Ron DeSantis in Florida, so congratulations <laughs> on that, Mr. President. And also, I was thinking Georgia's going to have a really similar thing play out. She's a woman, but Stacey Abrams being a woman of color, super progressive against, uh, is, I think it's Brian Kemp that mm-hmm. won. Secretary of State. And who's like, who had a an ad of pointing a shotgun at his daughter's boyfriend? It's insane. It's insane. I mean, 69 days until the election, and I feel like the world might actually explode. I mean, not literally, but sort of figuratively or something. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about the run, and I want to point our discussion in these last 10 minutes to sports, actual sports, and tennis. So this week, I mean, you must be living under a rock if you didn't get the sort of news about um, Serena Williams and her tutu and and the cat suit. Mm -hmm. So Serena Williams wore a Black Panther-inspired cat suit to the French Open. Hashtag badass. I know. And like, <laughs> yes, she is the most successful female African-American athlete probably in, in the history of this country, um, but also is was suffering some from some medical issues of blood clots. So the the, bot, the cat suit served a handful of purposes, right? It was both practical and a statement, which mm-hmm. she loves to do. Um, but the organizer, I guess, of the, of the, I'm just trying to find his name because I'll I'll ruin it. It's here on this paper somewhere. Uh, Bernard Giudicelli, or whatever his name is, the president of the French Tennis Federation, banned cat suits after she played because they were not appropriate for the sport, which is insane. So I'm not a huge tennis fan, but wasn't there a time when like Andre Agassi or something wore like all sorts of neon clothes and got similar sort of pushback from tournaments? And it does seem like Serena Williams was get taking a pretty big hit for this. That doesn't apply to men. So then the U.S. Open is happening right now in Queens, and she's two days in a row worn tutus. Mm-hmm. Just like a big fat fuck you. Mm-hmm. You want me to be ladylike? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a tutu. Go, woman, go. And it was black the first day, and it's lavender today. And they're being designed by the head designer for Louis Fouton, so which is a French designer. So I feel like there was also some shade <laughs> thrown there. It's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, I love these very creative, overt ways of claiming voice and space and and elevating visibility to an important issue because it's absolutely outdated. And the thing beyond fashion, the which she's good at, actually. Yes. <laughs> we, in style, it's as our as our conversation yeah. started. The bigger issue here is health. You know, it is incredibly important from a health perspective that athletes can wear uniforms and clothes that do not hinder their well being. They are under or their performance or their performance. Yeah. They have. We have no. I have no idea. I'm not even going to attempt to presume what their workout regimen includes. I mean, have you seen her body? She's the strongest person 
on the planet. It's it amazing. I mean, and and after giving birth to a child yeah. and being a present mother and role modeling for her daughter, who's like totally adorable, by the way, yeah. um, as well. It's insane. I think that is the conversation that really should we be we should be having, and how we can maintain the important essence of tradition for these sports and bring them into the modern era so they are realistic and providing the type of um I don't know. I don't, this is so not the right word, but container for their their athletes, which and it wouldn't exist without it. It's I'd, like a tool, right? It's a tool. Like in other sports, like golf, you know, like the 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 clubs you use are changing in aerodynamic nature, and um, in football, certainly they're always like wearing different kinds of gymnastics set and in gym, everybody's swimming as technology interfaces with athleticism that is manifested in a lot of things, but also in their in their clothing. And, you know, I think that she she gets to be and she also won the French Open and mm-hmm. she will likely win the US Open because she's insanely good at tennis. And what she's doing is trying to support her craft and mm-hmm. to try to break more barriers and more barriers as long as she can do this job. And the other thing that happened at the US Open, the US Open is just sort of like being a, a dick, but there was a um, a French tennis player. Apparently, this is only all of the things are only with you Americans and French people. But a French tennis player was slapped with a violation at the U.S. Open for taking off her shirt to readjust it while on the court. So it's a heat wave. Everyone knows it's a heat wave here in D.C. It's a heat wave in New York where they're playing this. So they got a break to cool off and do whatever they need to do. So she left the left the. Um, the court, changed her shirt, got back to the court, realized she had put her shirt on backwards, so took it off quick and turned it around, and she was given a, a violation. And it is a rule that only – so there is – the Women's Tennis Association rules dictate that players may only remove shirts while off court and no such rule applies to male players who take their shirts off frequently Tuesday to deal with them. So the same day, men did the same thing without any punishment, but the, but the woman got a violation. I mean it's like grow up. Catch up. It's 2018. I know. I'm so curious what year that policy See, is. Was, I know. I guess we could Google the Women's Tennis Association uh, to ir- find out. Irrespective. I mean, the thing that is positive about all this is it's creating a public conversation. Yeah. Because if, if we don't know, we can't change it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's kind of reminding me of, oh, dear. Yeah. I'm having an OG millennial <laughs> moment. <laughs> OG millennial moment. What? It wasn't me. Maybe it was Mia Hamm, Brandy something, soccer oh, yeah, years yeah, yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, used to take her shirt her, off. Her, at, at victory yeah. time. Yeah. And then she got slapped on the hand. That was like a decade ago. Yeah. People, get with the program. Up. I guess they got, they, they sort of got hip to to the fact that this was not a cool thing to do. And it was only assessed, it was only given a warning with no penalty okay, or fine. Well, so, well done, and now yeah. amend the policy. And then this awesome article, you know, they grabbed tweets and stuff. Somebody tweeted, so Williams can't cover up her whole body and Cornette can't change her shirt on the court. So what do y'all want, men? Let mm-hmm. us know. So yeah. we'll keep our eye on all the tennis It's so curious. It's like, okay, well, what's the, it, it reminds me of Drafting legislation, right? Like what's the – it all starts with the intention and the purpose. What is the intention of the purpose of these policies? Let's get really crystal clear and then – I just think it's nobody's reviewing them. Amend – I agree. Or updating them. I agree. Yeah. That would be my assumption as well. And then let's draft requirements that uphold the intention whilst 
are realistic in application. Yeah. So. All right. We've come to the end of our half an hour. That was fun. Thanks for joining us, Frida. Tracy, I miss you desperately. You need to come back. Um, But we hope you hit your golf balls straight today. Um, (laughs) And I don't have written down. She usually closes the show. So I think I say thanks so much for joining us today. That was a lot of fun. Tune in to Apple Podcast Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye.